we are going to uh, continue what we started uh, back on uh, the, uh, the 12th of this month. And we are uh, going to continue along the lines of teaching this wonderful truth that God is not cheap. And uh, we got into uh, several things uh, back two weeks ago, and we're, we're going to go ahead and review some of them and, uh, and then pick up from there and s- see what more we've got. And uh, if I can have that clock on back there, because that, that really helps the preacher out. Um, and because it helps the preacher out, it helps the congregation. We don't want anybody praying that little prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. The sermon's getting long and deep. And if I'm done before, if he's done before I wake, give my arm a little shake. You ever heard that one? No, no, you heard the other one, but you didn't hear that one. <laughs> All right. But uh, uh, we, we saw this. There, there's, uh, uh, we, we looked at some places in Scripture where, where it, it seemed that Rich people were getting all lumped into the same category. Uh, you know, it looked like that the, uh, you know, you know the, there were statements being made out of the rich that sounded uh, that they were made in such a generality that it applied to all rich people. You know, that, uh, uh, that they were unjust or oppressive or blaspheming the name by which we're called. You, 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 you saw some of that in a, a, a statement that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was making what is known as the Magnificat. And also you, you see some of that language also in the book of James. But that's why you don't stop reading your Bible. You keep on reading your Bible. Because in both cases, you see the mention of some very, very rich Old Testament men. In the case of Mary, in Luke chapter 1, in the Magnificat, she, after talking about those rich people and all the trouble they're causing, then she goes and talks about Abraham. Well, Abraham was a rich guy too. But he's obviously different from those other rich guys that were causing trouble. And then this book of James, you see the same thing. You see James warning about the, the rich. Don't they oppress you and don't they blaspheme the name by which you're called and so on. But then James goes on to talk about two very rich Old Testament guys, that being Abraham and Job. Which means if that's the case, then they're not lumping all the rich together into one category. There's the unrighteous rich and there's the righteous rich. There's those that have gotten what they've gotten by the love of money. And uh, as 1 Timothy 6 says about the love of money, if you go that way to get your money, you're going to pierce yourself through with many sorrows. But the Bible says in Proverbs that if you get your blessing from the Lord, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow with it. So you've got a case where you've got people who are rich, but they had to step on people and ignore their family and lose their family and, and have all kind of sorrow associated with them getting what they were trying to get. But when you go the direction of the blessing of the Lord, you may not get there in such a microwave fashion. You know, uh, don't take the microwave route. I'll tell you, God's the grokbok God. I'm in slow simmer. God, God doesn't graduate people quickly. As a matter of fact, God, if you fail, God, God will go ahead and make you retake the grade. You know what I'm saying? God's merciful, but, but he's not going to pass you till you get it. 
And, and the, the beautiful thing is that God, God's a, a crockpot God. You may not get things as quick and as fast going God's way, but what you get, you keep. As opposed to going ahead and t- taking the shortcut and cutting something here and cutting something there and, and, and trying to take the fast track to something when, when God will take you into the slow cooker and then, and then when you come to the end, everything's good. There's no sorrow. There's no regret. Your wife still loves you. Your kids still love you. And, and, and you're doing a mighty wonderful work for God in your life. That's the way to be a success. Hallelujah. Uh, we, we saw this, that uh, uh, we see the fact that God is not cheap by means of his character. And we read verses like Romans 8.32 that said, uh, uh, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It don't sound like a cheap old me. <laughs> hey, sounds like a generous God. First Timothy 6.17 also gave us some insight into his character where it says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty uh, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And um, we also looked at the, uh, the example of a king in the Old Testament uh, known as King Amaziah who unwisely invested and uh, I, uh, 100 talents of silver, which, you know, you can have multiple estimates, but the estimate I found today was that it was at least over $1.6 million. So he invested $1.6 million into an army that he wasn't supposed to go to battle with. And the Lord said, hey, you go to battle with them, you, know, you can go if you want to, but you're going to fall flat on your face. And of course, what would your response be? If you invested $1.6 million in something that was doomed to fail, you say, but what about the money? <laughs> Second Chronicles 25 verse 9, and, and we're going to go ahead and read Amaziah's response and the man of God's response to him. The Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall we do about the hundred talents which I've given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. You know what? Think about this. That, that the generosity and the blessing of God is so much that even for the bad financial decisions you've made in your life, it, it, you know, like I said, God's not a crockpot God that'll just snap his finger, you know, and, and get, get you out of a fix that you did a good job digging yourself in. The, the Lord would likely prefer you to learn a lesson to not go back there again. So he, uh, he doesn't always take you the fast route out of things. But I will say this, that the end of making a mistake doesn't have to be fatal when you obey God. If he were to just do what God said to do, even though in the short term, it looks like this is costing me $1.6 million. But in the long term, look at that. The Lord is able to give you much more than this. It's like the Lord saying, you think 1.6 mil is anything to me? When you own the cattle on a thousand hills? When everything in this universe was created by him and for his pleasure? Somebody need to help me get this out tonight. Hallelujah. But you know, I want to give you something extra. This is something that I did not give to you. 
uh, uh, last, uh, uh, last time we were together, and this verse just absolutely, I, I heard it and it blew me away and I knew that we needed to, just in our review tonight, give this to you because we did not get this the first time. Look at the character of God and what we're going to see here. This is the place where David sinned, where he saw the, the, the girl and he was home at a time when kings were supposed to go out to war. The Bible says that. That's a good lesson right there. Be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. Don't, don't be home when you're supposed to be at battle, you know? <laughs> so David's home at a time when the kings go out to battle, the scripture says. And uh, he saw Bathsheba on, on the roof, you know? Uh, uh, and she was to taking a bath and he was just enthralled with her, and, and what he ended up doing is he called for her, and uh, so he, he slept with another man's wife, that's called adultery, he got her pregnant, and then wanted to go ahead and set it up so that her husband would come home from the battle and sleep with his wife so that he would think the baby was his. But the, the guy who came from, from the battle never went inside the house. He said to the king, he said, there's no way I can go in and be with my wife when all my brothers are out there on the front lines of the battle. So David said, well, I got to do something to cover this up. So he said, put him on the very front line of the battle where, where you, you know, there's just no, no chance that he's going to make it. And he died. So you got adultery and murder. And then the man of God confronts him. And then the man of God was the prophet Nathan. Gave him a little parable and uh, described um, a man who had everything and, and went and wanted the, the, the one little lamb that his neighbor had when he had everything else that he could ever want. And David got mad at this little story that was being told, thinking he was describing a, a, an actual literal situation and talked about all the things that should be done to this guy who has done such a thing. And then the prophet Nathan said, you demand. <laughs> Except this was not a complimentary you demand. You know what I'm saying? Second Samuel 12. Read this with me. But I want you to read this in the context of what we're teaching here tonight. That God is not cheap. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel... I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Go on. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. Now read this. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. So right here, in the middle of God's correction to him is this statement where God starts talking about all the things I gave you and then says, and if that was too little, I would have given you not just more. He said, I would also have given you much more. Somebody need to say it with me. God's not cheap. Boy, I tell you, is that tremendous or what? Hallelujah. What does that say about the character of our God? My, my, my.
Surely he is El Shaddai and not El Chipo. Amen. So we see that, uh, that God's not cheap through his character, but we also see God's not cheap through his culture. We talked about that. We saw how Jesus reacted uh, when an expensive gift was given to him. And uh, that, that being when uh, the, the woman uh, uh, went to him and uh, uh, it was Mary, uh, you know, the, the sister of Lazarus in the John chapter 12. Um, and, and, and you see how... Uh, uh, she poured out what was really close to a year's wages worth of perfume on the feet of Jesus. And you can very easily contrast the difference between Jesus' response to it and uh, Judas' response to it. See, Judas thought it had to be either or. Well, either this perfume gets sold and given to the poor or it gets wasted on Jesus. They, they, they literally said... What, to what purpose is this waste? And of course, there's a third option for Judas because he would kind of help himself to the funds of the Jesus of Nazareth International Ministries. You know what I'm saying? He was the treasurer and the, the, the Bible said that he would kind of uh, help himself to some of the cream on the top. But you see... Judas had this thought of either or. Well, you can only go ahead. You can either be elaborate with Jesus or sell it and give it to the poor. Jesus was not either or minded here. Jesus, I would say, was both and minded. Which means in the mind of Jesus, it seemed that it was possible for him to receive an extravagant gift and to continue giving to the poor. And that he didn't have to make a choice between one or the other. You see the difference between the either or and the both and? Now, now here's the thing. Well, there is genuine waste. I mean, you, you don't have to go far to find genuine waste. But here in this case, when this woman put that expensive, I mean, nearly a year's worth of salary on the feet of Jesus... And he, uh, the, they, uh, the, the disciples, along with Judas, were uh, accusing her of being wasteful, but Jesus did not consider that wasteful. So I, I bring that up because the culture of the kingdom of God uh, is, is different than a lot of us have thought it is. You know, the, the, the fact that, that God can go ahead and have people uh, uh, have given to the poor and taken care of people in need without doing, doing and, and he could still receive something like that. It was not either or. Like I said, it was both and. Do you see that? that, that that's a, a tremendous insight into the kingdom of God and, and the fact that, that, that he's, not, he's not cheap. He, he's... He's able to receive extravagant gifts, and yet at the same time, he's got such a heart for that widow who gave her last two coins. Right in the same person. You say, well, those, those don't seem uh, compatible. I mean, why would Jesus allow this to take place on him? And, and when, when he knows that it wasn't that long ago, he saw that woman give her last two pennies in the offering. But that was not incompatible in the mind of Jesus. 
that was not contradictory in the mind of Jesus. Where Jesus thought, my father is big enough where I can go ahead and have such a gift like this laid out on me and at the same time, such a, uh, 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 such a person in need can still have their needs supplied that there's enough treasure in heaven to go ahead and handle both situations. See, uh, a big part of what I had in my heart regarding this series is the fact that God wants to change our thinking about some things. And, and you know what? I'll just be straight with you. It, it, it can be very easy to, to develop a cheap mindset as opposed to a generous mindset. And why we're talking about the reason, that, uh, the, 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 the fact that God's not cheap is to ultimately get to the point where if we're going to be a follower of God, if he's not cheap, we shouldn't be cheap either. We should be the most happily generous people on planet earth. Hallelujah. We're not going to read this right now, but if you want to learn more about the, the culture of the kingdom of God, look at the way God built the city, <laughs> the new Jerusalem, Revelation 21, 18 through 21. You, you see all the, the, the precious stones that were used in the building of the city. We're not going to read that right now. You can read it on your own time. And, and, and the 12 gates that were 12 pearls, each individual gate was made out of one pearl. Like I said last time, those had to be some big oysters. Come on. And we also talked about, you know, even the the way that God built the tabernacle or instructed the tabernacle to be built and the temple to be built. We're we're not talking about little shacks. We're talking about the tabernacle, just the silver and the gold being estimated around $13 million and Solomon's temple. Whoa. Estimates. Even around $56 billion. B, billion. And you say, well, that's for the temple. That, that, that's for the church. What an extravagant thing to do for the church. $56 billion. But is it for the church or is it for him? Because here's the thing. If you're doing something for the church, you know, uh, uh, see, see, we, 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 we think, well, I, I do it for God, but I want to do it for the church or I do it for God, but I may not do it for this reason. But, but the thing is, is that the, the way David thought is that he, he, he knew he couldn't be the one to build it, but he was gathering up and gathering up and gathering up. And one of the greatest, most exciting things he could do before he died was to bring all this stuff forward that he had stored and set aside for the building of the house of God. Oh, to have that kind of heart. We're, we're, we're not trying to go ahead and say, well, well, it's all right for, for the hotel downtown to have a, a nice carpet in the front. But if the church ever had that kind of carpet, we'd say, oh, what they're doing with the money over there. See that? Because you, you don't want the Lord to tell you you're just sounding a whole lot like Judas. That would not be a compliment. It was Judas said, well, you can take that and give it to the poor. Oh, <laughs> praise the Lord. But, but is this challenging your thinking tonight? Because here's the thing. You, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the Bible warns very severely about covetousness. We're not going down the road of covetousness. 
But yet at the same time, the, the idea of generosity and the idea of not being cheap or being generous is all over the Holy Bible. and You can't get away from it. You know, even the creation shows uh, the fact that God's not cheap. We got into that as well. Uh, the, the idea of uh, Psalm 104, 24 to 25, where it said, Oh Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom you've made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. I like that. Verse 25, this great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things both small and great. Wow. Creation itself shows the fact that your God is not cheap. As a matter of fact, think about this in creation itself. In the very, very beginning in the book of Genesis, there's mention of gold. Now, now for for man, you know, I mean, on his own, he wouldn't know the difference between gold and dirt. And, you know, it kind of lets you know that uh, what, what's so valuable down here is pavement in heaven. Hey, <laughs> think about that for a minute. But, you know, Genesis 2, 11 and 12. The name of the first, that being the first river going around uh, Eden, is Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And then the next verse says, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and the onyx stone are there. So the, the Bible right from the very beginning is talking about where the gold is and where the onyx stone is. And it actually says the gold of that land is good. That means that's, that's where the good stuff is, the quality stuff is. Why would God say something like that? Why would God put it here to begin with? Because God's not cheap. Now, what I want to get into tonight, what one of the things I want to hit tonight is the fact that we see that God is not cheap by means of his covenant. When you look at the the covenant of God and the way he treated those with whom he was in covenant with, hey, you see by both of those things, the fact that God is certainly not cheap. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 says this, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Imagine this, that part of God's concept behind giving us the power to get wealth is so that his covenant can be established. So this idea of God's covenant is one of the ways we find out that he's not cheap because to establish that covenant, he knows it's going to take some godly people who can be given the power to get wealth because, you see, if there was not godly people with the power to get wealth, how would God's will be done in the earth? We say, well, God's God and he can do anything. Well, but God, as a sovereign act, gave man free will where man could either choose to serve him or choose not to serve him. 
And that is undisputable. God's not forcing anybody to serve him. But for those who do and those who are in covenant with him, as a matter of fact, covenant was the way that God got back into the earth. When, 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 when uh, sin had came and, and, and you see what's happening uh, as the days towards Noah's flood were, were progressing along, that, that there was anything but progressing. There was a whole lot of regressing or digressing going on, that the man was getting worse and worse and violence was fill, filling the world. This place was bad to the point where uh, God, God had to give the world a bath and start over. And what did he do? He made a covenant with somebody. So covenant is the way that God got back into the earth. He was just looking for one person who out of an act of his will would let him in. Glory to God. And that's exactly what he did. Isn't that right? Hey, but you see this, that, that uh, when, when God got into covenant with somebody, he always blessed them, spoke words over them. He did that in the beginning. He blessed man. He blessed his creation. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Well, you see that when Noah was starting fresh and God put his rainbow in the sky, not some other group's rainbow, his rainbow. God put his rainbow in the sky and said that th this is going to be your reminder that I'm never going to do what just had to be done here again. I mean, th there's come a time when, you know, things are going to wrap up. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. But, 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 you know, uh, but, but God made it very clear. He said, what I just did here, I'm not going to do again. And the way you can know it is because I'm putting my rainbow in the sky as a guarantee to that. And then he spoke blessing to Noah and his family. Of course, one of Noah's sons got in trouble and actually uh, had a curse declared on him instead of a blessing. But, uh, but I got to tell you, I want to stay on the blessing side. How about you? You know, God made a covenant with Noah, but God also made a covenant with, what's this guy's name? Abram, who we better know as Abraham. And when God speaks to these guys, you got to look at the terminology that God uses. Genesis 15.1, look at the way that God talks to Abram. 15.1, it said, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Your exceedingly great reward. Well, you say, well, that's great. But, but, but when you break that down, and it's interesting uh, I was reading a, an article by a minister that uh, had actually uh, ministered here one time years back. And, uh, you know, I, I saw this insight. And when, when he pointed it out, I, 
I did what a good Bible student should do. Go look it up for yourself. Don't just take somebody's word for it. So I got out my concordance, dug into the lexicon. I wanted to see, is, is this for real? And this is what God was literally saying when you look at the breakdown of these words. I am your shield and your exceeding. Of course, you see the word exceedingly, but this word great would mean enlarging and increasing. All right? Now, what about the word reward? The word reward means wages or compensation. So this is God showing up to Abram and literally making this statement. I am your shield and your exceeding, enlarging, and increasing wages or compensation. Hey. How many of you have ever seen a decreasing wage or compensation before? Or one that's static, one that's staying the same, not going anywhere. But God said, I'm your enlarging and increasing wages and compensation. Is somebody awake in this house tonight? Wow. Well, God said that to Abraham. Does that mean that's true for me? Well, I got to tell you, oh, I absolutely know it's true for you. Because if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It's good enough for Abraham. It's good enough for you. Hallelujah. Now, now these men that were in covenant with God, Abraham, of course, being such a notable one, but, but you know the terminology of the Old Testament where you continually see, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And of course, you also you see the term, the God of Israel. And God changed Jacob's name to Israel. We know that. But, but, but look, at, look, look at how these guys did. Now, now here's the thing. We're focusing in on the natural side of things. We're not dispelling the spiritual side of things. But, but we're looking at, just from a natural standpoint, is, is God cheat with his kids? Is he trying to go ahead and give them stuff with an eyedropper like Pastor Jones used the example before? Let's get you just enough. Or does God lay it on thick? What's he like? Genesis 13, 2. The Bible says about Abram. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. And even the ones who got to hang out with Abram did pretty well. Look at verse 5 of the same chapter. It says, Lot also who went with Abram had flocks, herds, and tents. What about Abraham's son Isaac? Check this out. This is Genesis 26, 12 to 14. Then Isaac sold in that land. Now I need to tell you this. This is a land that, think about how good a green thumb you have to have. There was famine in that land. If you read the context and go back earlier in that chapter, there's famine in this land. Now, Isaac sold in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Woo! Talking about having a green thumb, a blessed thumb. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the Lord blessed him. Verse 13, the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. See that progression? He began to prosper 
and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. So what was the Philistines God? Pastor Mike, I think it was Dagon, right? The, the God of the Philistines? Yeah, Dagon was their God. The Dagon well, wasn't nearly as generous as Jehovah was. They, they envied Isaac when they saw the blessing of the Lord in his life. Hallelujah. What about Jacob? You see, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob did pretty well too. Chapter 31 of Genesis 17 and 18, it says, Then Jacob rose and set his sons and wives on camels, and carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained and paid in Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. And think about this. Let's go on the progression a little bit further. So you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had a son named Joseph. Now, Joseph, his brothers, sold him into slavery. We're talking about the fact that God's covenant is a demonstration of the fact that he's not cheap. That's what we're talking about, right? So Joseph... A man sold into slavery by his brothers. You think, well, how's he going to do any good when he's sold into slavery? But look out, because the covenant causes the cream to rise to the top. <laughs> Genesis 39, 1 to 3. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, uh, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So, wow, sold as a slave. And look at him being a success. And does the story end that way? Oh, no, because... Potiphar had a crazy wife. A crazy wife who wanted to get together with Joseph. And she'd be hounding him and say, Boy, <laughs> you and me need to get together. And, and, and Joseph always be going the other way. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go the other way. Can somebody hear the words of the Apostle Paul? It says, Flee fornication. You don't run towards it. You don't hang around and, you know, see what happens. Though, you run, run. And, and, and the thing is, that's exactly what Joseph did, except one of the times he run, she grabbed his coat and said to her husband, well, the, the one who owns this coat is the one who tried to rape me. And so what happened? Joseph, this booming success, gets thrown in prison. But the story's not over yet. Hey, because it's a man with covenant. Come on. Genesis 39, 20 to 23. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. 
Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Think about this. The boss of the prison didn't even bother checking up on Joseph because that was how smooth everything was running and that was how clear that the blessing of the Lord was on this man. So even when a slave and a prisoner, whoa, covenant kicked in. And you know, it did the same for the children of Israel over in the book of Exodus. Exodus 1, 11 through 12. You know, uh, before that, the Bible says that there rose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. The way Joseph's story ends, he becomes second in command in all of the land of Egypt. You remember that. But then years later, there's a Pharaoh rises who did not know Joseph. And, uh, uh, and, and that's when they started to enslave the, the Israelites. And uh, verse 11 of Exodus 1, it says, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh's supply city, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. It's like, you know what? I'm just trying to go ahead and get you under my foot and get you under control and, uh, and, and going to make you do what I want you to do. But, but you know what? Who, who are they messing with? They're messing with covenant people. And, and once again, the cream rises to the top, and, and, and the, the more they tried, the more the Egyptians tried to slow down the Israelites, to get them under their command and under their control, the more they did that, the more the Israelites multiplied and grew. Hallelujah. It's kind of like the lesson learned by the whale that swallowed Jonah. You can't keep a good man down. That'll dawn on somebody on the way home. <laughs> There's very little humor in that. <laughs> but think about this. The, the way God works, the way God thinks in terms of covenant, that God would even say that he has a covenant of peace. The Hebrew word, shalom. And that that is a demonstration of the fact that he's not cheap. He's, he, he's even named such. Judges 6, 24. And by the way, the, the word shalom, uh, a Hebrew word meaning peace, uh, also meaning welfare, health, and prosperity. I mean, it's just the whole package. I mean, it's doing good on the inside and on the outside. And God, in Judges 6, 24, you see this? So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace, which is Jehovah Shalom. God actually named himself. He demonstrated one of the facets of his character in this name. Because God, he's got multiple names. He's Jehovah Rapha, our healer. He's, he, he's Jehovah Jireh. He's, he's the Lord who sees. He looks ahead and knows what you're going to need at that certain point when you get there. And make sure that he goes ahead in time to make sure that what you need is there. So that when you get there, it's already there. Woo, hallelujah. 
But here he identifies himself as Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. The Lord is Shalom. He, he, he says he, his covenant is a covenant of peace. Numbers 25, 12. Therefore, say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, my covenant of Shalom, my covenant of welfare, health, prosperity, and peace. Isaiah 54 verse 10 says, For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of shalom be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. So you see, through the covenant, you realize that God is most definitely not cheap. Now, You know that the rich young ruler obviously did not know that about God. How many of you have ever heard of that guy in the New Testament called the rich young ruler? Let's go ahead and read it. I I wasn't initially going to take the time to read this because there's a lot of verses, but we're going to take the time to do it. Mark 10, start with verse 17. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he's answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Right there, you see Jesus clarified something that they were misunderstanding. They they were choking on those words. And he said, all right, let me bail you out here. We're not just talking about anybody who has riches. We're talking specifically about people who trust in riches. You see that? All right. Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for rich men to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, see, we've left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. You see what Jesus said there at the end? You see, 
that rich young ruler had already walked away sad. He never got to hear that. But one thing he did get to hear, Jesus specifically told him, if you go ahead and sell what you have and give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. But you see, he's so misunderstood. He thought Jesus was trying to take all this stuff away from him. And the reality, Jesus was setting him up where if he would have obeyed, he would have ended up with more than he already had. And then he could give it all away again and still end up with more than he had and give it all away again and still end up with more than he had. He missed the whole point. He thought that God was being cheap or demanding so much of him that he was not willing to give. Thought that God was trying to take something from him. When God was wanting to liberate his wallet. And if your wallet is liberated in what's going out, let me tell you, it can also be liberated in what's coming back in. So if, it, if the wallet don't seem liberated in what's coming into it, the first place to look is to say, how liberated is my wallet with what's going out? Well, well. And that's why as we're getting ready to close here, we need to close with this. If God's not cheap, then neither should we be cheap. Can we look at some verses together? Hallelujah. I I mean, can, can, can you let God inspire you tonight? To go ahead into places and grow in places where you may not have grown before. To to develop in ways that you've not developed before. You know, um, hey, <laughs> last week we we were at a meeting and, uh, you know, the, the Lord <laughs> dropped a figure in my heart about what to give at the meeting. Because, you know, you should talk to the Lord about what you should give. Don't just sit there and think somebody else is going to do it. No. Talk to God. Say, what should I do? You know, and, and I, I had a, I mean, I had a figure drop down just like a, a lot, like a download. You can't say like a coin in the payphone because those things aren't around anymore. So, you know, it was a download. And I went and talked to my wife. Say, all right. <laughs> Say, hey, honey. Um, what do you have in your heart to give this week? And then she uttered it. I was like, all right. Two, two uh, radios that are tuned into the same station get the same signal. We have the exact same dollar amount. And I'll tell you, I had so much fun filling out that offering envelope. You know what? I could have done what I've done before. You know, I, what I've done before is I could think of all, all the th- other things I could be doing with that. But, but you know what? When you renew your mind, you say, all right, I'm not losing this. No, this is going into the hands of Jesus. I'm, what, what happened when loaves and fishes got into the hands of Jesus? There was enough for everybody. And there were leftovers. 
When something gets in the hands of Jesus, it's not diminished, it's multiplied. And so it's the, the renewing of our mind in this area that is so important that will cause us to have a lifestyle of generosity, a lifestyle of giving, a lifestyle of being just like our daddy who is not cheap. Proverbs eleven twenty four to 25 says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Now, now that verse there, that's the one where I have my own translation of it. That's where I, I, my translation of that is if you hold on to what's in your hand, you get poor. But if you let go of what's in your hand, you get more. Hallelujah. All right. Verse 25. The generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. See, if, if we're thinking of giving as loss, then we are absolutely missing the boat. You can't think of giving as loss. You can only think of giving as investment. But investment with certain return. Investment with certain return. Praise the Lord. It's nice to be able to utter those words uh, on the week like the Wall Street had. Lord have mercy. But with God, you get certain return. Now here's the thing. God has so many ways of bringing it back to you, I mean, it's just amazing. You know, you, you, you think, well, all right, if I give this much, then it's going to be this much that I'll get back. But the thing is, is that God also has a way of keeping your refrigerator alive when everybody else dies. So, so here, here's the thing. With, with God, you, you, you don't just have the blessing of stuff coming in. You have the blessing of stuff lasting. Kind of like the Israelite shoes that lasted in the, in the wilderness. For all the time they were out there, their shoes never wore out. I got to tell you, I, uh, my, my old blue beauty, slate blue beauty of a Buick that I was driving around for years, it was a 2000, I called it my Israelite shoe. It just kept going and going and going and going. And it was still going, but uh, through a set of circumstances, I needed to, to give it to my stepdaughter and get, did it and went and got another one. But then I, I started talking to this one. I said, you are the next generation of the Israelite shoe. <laughs> but, but you see, God will bless you not just by bringing stuff into you. God will bless you by making your stuff last. Praise the Lord. All right. Now, how about this? Proverbs nineteen seventeen says, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. You see, the Lord could have said, well, you know what? You can just go ahead and thank me for the opportunity that you've had to be generous to my work. And that's reward enough right there that I've allowed you this opportunity. But, but God's not just settling right there. No, God said... Ain't nobody going to outdo me. <laughs> ain't, go, ain't nobody going to outgive me. He said, if you are, are pitying the poor, you're lending to me, and I'm going to pay you back what you're given, what you've given. And don't forget, God pays interest. Hallelujah. Proverbs 22, 9. 
He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Proverbs 28, 27. He who gives to the poor will not lack. Psalm 37, 25 and 26. I have been young and now I'm older. Did I add a few letters there? All right. Yeah. I've been young and now I'm old. All right. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends and his descendants are blessed. Ever merciful and lends. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Psalm 112, start with verse 1, through verse 9, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Talk about one of the ways that God can bring it back to you. Is verse 7 not being afraid of evil tidings not falling going to your bed at night and being afraid about getting that phone call getting that bad news no you're not afraid of evil tidings you're not afraid of getting the phone call because you know that you worship God fear the God fear fear the Lord you you've obeyed him you've walked in his ways therefore you have an absolute certainty that the things that are coming back to you are good things the things that are being repaid to you are good things not the stuff you don't want the stuff you do want hallelujah verse 8 his heart is established he will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies verse 9 he's dispersed abroad whoo he has dispersed abroad he has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever his horn will be exalted with honor now when you hear the word abroad What if you hear the term that somebody studied abroad? You would think, well, that's somebody who studied internationally. Well, what do you think when you hear the term dispersed abroad? That from from your bank account in Providence, in in Seekonk, in in Riverside, in Cranston, in Taunton, in Fall River, in New Bedford, in in, uh, Johnson, wherever you're from, that from there, by giving to the work of God, giving to the gospel, you disperse abroad as something that was sitting in your bank account is now a a very powerful tool in the weapon of Almighty God going to supply the needs of the gospel going all over the world. That's called dispersed abroad. Hallelujah. I want to do some of that. Let's wrap it up with this. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. But this I say... He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully 
will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things. Let's read that part again. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And then he says, as it is written. Oh, look at what he's going to quote here. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. And his righteousness endures forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's not cheap. And we, his people, aren't going to be cheap either. No, we're going to go ahead and give to the work of God generously, tithe to our local church, give offerings to our local church, give offerings to ministries that the Lord would direct us to give to so that what we're giving can be dispersed abroad, can go and cause uh, great things to happen all over the world. You know what? See, if if you just listen to the news, you're not getting really what's happening in the world. Because when you hear people that are on the front lines of bringing the gospel to the nations of the world, and you hear what's really happening, you get excited. Because you know what? We're, we're sin abounds. Grace does much more abound. I was about to say where stupidity abounds, because Lord knows there's a whole lot of stupidity abounding in our day as well. But, uh, <laughs> but we're, I'll say this, where stupidity abounds, God's wisdom can abound. Hallelujah. And I tell you, I want to be one who's generous. And by being generous, I'm being like my daddy who's generous. But I'm also going ahead and doing something that's affecting this whole world. North America, South America. I mean, if there's penguins that need to get saved in Antarctica, I want to get them too. Every nation under God's blue sky. Get the gospel out. Hallelujah. Is anybody fired up about being generous tonight? Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray tonight. Father, we honor you and give you glory. We're thankful, we're thankful for, for your precious word and what you taught us. And Lord, what I believe you're imparting to us. Lord, we believe that what you're doing with us is, is a, a changing, a renewing of our mind. Helping us to see things in a new and fresh way that we've not seen previously. We thank you for that. Lord, we believe we'll continue to receive revelation, knowledge from the word of God, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here tonight while your heads are bowed and uh, eyes are closed and uh, you don't know Jesus, or you, you've walked with Jesus before and you've just allowed the, uh, your life to get off the tracks. And-